nothing like Kenny. Aww. <laughs> I watched the new Poltergeist film. Ooh. Oh, shit. How was it? Uh, it sucked. Jules Verne, Nikola Tesla, and get this, uh, Thomas Edison, who apparently decided to put aside their blood feud in order to create a secret society in order to find another planet. That was the one thing for me, knowing the history between those two, and I'm just like, are you fucking serious? He ran a vertical and horizontal monopoly, and he was a total (laughs) fucking asshole who pretty much stole a lot of his fucking inventions. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be that guy. Um, Anyway. I don't think he cares. He's dead. (laughs) Good? Anyway. Uh... Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, there is. An infallible way. They won. What's a casino? People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. You ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an accent. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it, it gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter. Fucking dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey, you were over the line, that's a foul. What happened? Did your your balls drop off? Hello there, and welcome into episode 15 of Film Tank. My name is Alex Diekman, and on today's episode, we will be talking about the Disney film Tomorrowland. On today's show, we have Nick Cheney here. The sun will come out Tomorrowland. That was a good one. Thank you. I was very impressed. Thank you. You've been been struggling the last few weeks. I know, but I feel like this movie just kind of rejuvenated my creativity process. Uh, might be a little bit of a uh, little bit of a uh, coming attraction there from Nick Cheney. Oh, it's an attraction. <laughs> Tucson Egan also here. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. Very good. See, I think you need to do some of that every week. Yeah. <laughs> you, you. Nick Cheney apparently was not a big fan of Tucson's. I'm just kidding, Tucson. It was wonderful. So So much shade. He'll be going back to the usual, what up, guys, next week. And Kenny Marcel's also here today. Yo. Yeah, don't, don't. No, you don't, you don't have a tomorrow pun no, for us? No, oh. don't. You couldn't even give us, like, you couldn't even, or... you'd normally say yo, so yo. You, you couldn't even give us, like, a tomorrow yo. <laughs> I mean, come on, Kenny, you know, just just go an extra mile one of these days. He blew all his bullets uh, seeing the uh, seventh inning stretch. stretch on the baseball episode. That was good. Yeah, and it's like two months ago now, and it's still like there's like there's nothing like it. It's amazing. It's true. Just like there's nothing like Kenny. Aww. 
<laughs> well, there's all the intro I need. Yeah, for, there you go, for, for sure. For God's sake. That's so, awesome. last weekend was Memorial Day weekend. A couple of us were uh, out of town and didn't get a real chance to uh, see a lot of movies. And excuses, maybe, excuses. Well, that's fine. Uh, maybe we'll talk more about uh, what we did other than watching movies the last weekend. But I know one person who definitely watched some movies and television <clears throat> shows was Nick Cheney. He has a whole list of movies for us uh, he wants to talk about. Yep, I'm going to talk about every single one of them. Okay. So first I watched uh, The One I Love. Then I watched a movie called The World's End. Then I watched a movie called... Uh, oh, I re- rewatched, I should say, the last five years. Uh, I then watched Rushmore. Why are you talking I, so fast? Because <laughs> i got to get through them. Easy, easy. I, didn't, I thought you know, that maybe we were running... I didn't, I'm so sorry. Okay, sorry. Rapid no, fire, go for it. But um, in actuality, I'm only going to talk about one or two of these. Okay. Let's but, throw some of them off, though. we got to get to, like, number 40 okay, here pretty right. soon. Well, uh, after Rushmore, I watched uh, rewatched. Actually, I feel like all of these were rewatches, actually. Let me just look. <laughs> yeah, these are all rewatched. None, none of this was new. Good old podcast content. Inside Lewin Davis, I rewatched that. Uh, oh, uh, I watched Tomorrowland. Don't know if you know that. Uh, a Serious Man. And I rewatched Toy Story, which is actually where I could probably start, because <clears throat> it's the most fresh in my mind, because I watched that last night. And I was both, because I have not seen it in years, uh, maybe like a decade or something. Like I've seen the sequels quite frequently, but I never seem to revisit the first one for whatever reason, even though it's a great film. And you know what? I was pleasantly surprised because it is a great film, and there are so many great moments that even like, I forgot about. I love uh, Buzz, some of his lines, like when uh, when Sid is doing his little like operations of a toy, and uh, he's like, "I believe that man is, does not have a medical license" or something like that. <laughs> you know, um, there, there's just so much great stuff in the movie. I will admit, though, I only gave it like four out of five stars because there is something about the finale that I feel like it just drags on because it's like there's three different climaxes. There's them at Sid's, them. Um, them outside of Sid's house trying to get on the moving truck and like once I got to the whole them on the RC car I was just kind of already done with the movie because really? yeah uh, wow that's, for, my, that's like one of my favorite scenes out of that movie I can understand that and it definitely is an iconic thing because I remember it to this day like even without rewatching it like I remember watching it for the first time and that kind of stuff but now as far as looking at the actual narrative like all of this stuff is already wrapped up so that's just your obligatory peril uh, well no it's not really wrapped up because I know that you assume they're going to, but they actually do have to get back with the family at some point. Right, but if you... Okay, but I guess that's where the the children's film mentality kicks in when it was doing so well at being a nice hybrid between uh, giving the adults a human drama, which for me is just the relationship between Buzz and Woody, you know, and that fear of the, uh, the new versus the old and just actually working together. But they already completed that because they already had their bro-to-bro moment uh, mm-hmm. in the SIDS room and they already went back for each other. So for me, the RC car scene, which I, I don't like, it's not like I'm sitting there going, oh, fuck this shit or something like that, <laughs> but it was just kind of like that. child at heart, this one. <laughs> it, it just felt more obligatory this around. Like, we needed to make sure that the kids are still excited when they leave the theater, so therefore we have to 
add this obligatory scene of peril where like it's there's nothing more to that scene for me other than the payoff of him flying. I was going to say there was a bunch of really good setup for that scene, including the uh, rocket strapped to his back with it, which they use when yeah, the but, car runs out of which, juice or whatever. I can understand, but remember and, this though: that, and then that Buzz arc, finally flies. He finally. I know, his, which makes it's no sense. with style, Kenny. <laughs> I know, but it makes no sense because you know he couldn't fly earlier. So why uh, can he fly now? I don't get it. Jesus Christ, old man! Wrap it's, this shit up. It was wrap made this in, shit up. Let's in go. 1995. Okay, as a children's movie. Good too. lord. I know, but I'm saying crotchety, that's where it became the most. That's where it became the most. Uh, I'm just saying I've I like all three of those films, and I felt like the other two were better at balancing the tone between being a rewarding drama and just pacing it a little bit better than the first film. I mean, when the first film was released, it's not like they realized that a that it was going to launch Pixar into oblivion, or b that there would even be two more of these where they could kind of refund three, three more. There's yeah, another know, one there's, coming out in a couple of years. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, we'll see about that. But um, I I'm mean, sure it'll do great at the box office. Yeah. So <laughs> all I'm saying is I was kind of checked out in the last 10 minutes, and that's it's just my opinion, man. But um, Okay. Uh, another movie I did want to mention, um, but now I gotta remember which one I wanted to talk about. Oh yes, uh, I rewatched The World's End. You know the uh, the last entry in the Cornetto trilogy by my Ed. favorite of the three. It is a great movie, and I remember when I saw it, which actually me, Alex, and Toussaint mm-hmm. all went to the theater to see the entire Cornetto. Tri- this was before well, we fine, met you, fine, Kenny. Fuck you guys. This I was see. before. Well, I guess before my got lost in the mail or what? I don't... Before me and Toussaint met you, yeah. Alex could have invited you, okay. but apparently okay. he chose. Not to. Well, I yeah. That's your fault. I, gu- I guess. I wish. I, just, you, I wish you wouldn't have introduced uh, me sometimes. Uh, <laughs> wow. So I um, so rewatching the world's end. I remember when we saw it in the theater. I was not as high on it as you two were. As far as like, I I really liked it because I love all three of them pretty much. But I remember thinking that it was somehow lacking. And I will say that I don't. I still don't think as it's. I think it's still my least favorite. And yet the margin of difference between how I feel about it and the other two are just so slim now because every time I rewatch it I like it a little bit more and we'll just keep see like keep seeing if it just keeps continuing to grow because there are so many little details that are just so perfect in this film that aren't I wouldn't say present in the other one because part of the reason why I think Hot Fuzz is my favorite is because yeah. that's the most intricate script of the entire trilogy. Like there's so many callbacks. To it's it. really damn good. Yes, yeah. um, but the one thing that I'm coming back to for the World's End that's just growing in my estimation is the emotional core of it. Might be the best out of all three. The the friendship between Andy and uh, Nick, I think, are it's just. By the end of that film, like that's just the, one of the best depictions of like friendship and growing apart that I've seen in any recent movie, and yet it's about a movie where aliens are taking over the world. You know, so like it's just so great that Edgar Wright can always pull off this incredible balance of tones between some kind of high genre concept and actual emotional resonance. The nice thing about that movie is too is like we probably would have saw with Ant Man, we see what Edgar Wright can do with a slightly bigger budget than he's gotten in the yep. past. Uh, a lot of the effects were just terrific in that film. Yep, that and um, even uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is kind of another example as far as, like, it's clear that even when he's on a studio budget, he doesn't change, and that's the only reason why something like Scott Pilgrim got made and something like Ant-Man with him will not be made, because it's all about whether the studio will just let it happen. Um, the, I will say, the only thing that keeps me from giving uh, The World's End a better rating is, once again... <laughs> 
I'm going to sound like a broken record because I just kind of said this in the other segment, but um, once again, I feel like the finale goes on a little too long because if you literally time out when they're talking to the overlord, the Bill Nye voiced uh, computer overlord or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm not exaggerating when I say that scene goes on for 10 minutes and I yeah. don't, I don't think it needs to. And it kind of, I would say, brings the films to a halt. And yet that's also the moment when the message is supposed to be coming, you know, crystal clear. So I feel like if it was just a little bit for somebody who's as kinetic as Edgar Wright is in his direction and editing, like I'm just, I don't understand why it was lacking there. And, uh, but overall it is a hilarious and deeply moving film in certain parts. I, my favorite line and maybe the entire trilogy is when, um, Rosamund Pike's character is talking to, uh, Simon Pegg's character and she says something like, um, you know, it's not all about that night. And then he goes, isn't it? Because he truly just does not get it. And as far as like, the how how stunted his uh, emotional maturity has been uh, ever since that when they were children and it's just a great movie i liked uh that movie particularly because i was able to nerd out over the the one scene where it's like oh my god it looks exactly like your car it's like yeah it is my car I just replace every single part of it that's like a <laughs> like a like a ship of theseus where where it's just like if you replace every single part is it the same thing or is it just the idea of the thing that you're holding on to yeah i don't know man the um Simon Pegg's character of Gary was by far my favorite character in the entire Cornetto trilogy. I was a huge fan of just the total burnout, stuck in the past thing. But it, he was just great in that whole movie. And I was like, my favorite line, if you're talking about favorite lines from the, those three movies, still every time, and Hot Fuzz was my least favorite of the three, but that line that they have about the jugglers invading in is, I just found it so <laughs> hilarious. We're up to our balls and jugglers. <laughs> uh, all right, Tucson. Uh, what did you uh, have a chance to catch any movies over the, uh, the long weekend? Yes, I did. Predator 2? Uh, no, I wasn't. I didn't watch that one. Could you give us a play-by-play, please? Uh, I'm not going to give you a play-by-play. Oh, well, I did binge watch the first two seasons of 30 Rock, and that's awesome. It's a compulsively watchable uh, sitcom by Tina Fey with uh, Alec Baldwin, and you should definitely watch that if you can. I agree. Yeah. It's one of my favorite comedy sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those shows that I can't believe exists simply because right? of the fact that like it's amazing for uh, a network like NBC, which I would say is like, like and it's it's in a much worse place than it was mm-hmm. when Thirty Rock was airing, but it was still not in a great place when Thirty Rock was airing because they were just coming off their uh, high of like must see TV Thursday when they could never really build that Thursday block up ever again. But uh, I'm just so surprised that they allowed Thirty Rock to get away with as much as they did when it comes to making fun of NBC because it's right. just like every episode was just another way that NBC sucked, and yet they were totally fine with it, and I thought that was great. But the two films that I watched, I watched the. Uh, Frank Pavich's uh, 2013 documentary, uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. Uh-huh. Have you guys ever heard of this movie before? Yes. I bought it Dune, uh, a Dune? couple of... Like, Dune. Dune. No. Oh, Dune. I, I thought, like, the video game, Doom. No. No, Dune. Okay. Dune. Sorry, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I bought this uh, this film a couple of months ago when I was going through my weird, independent uh, Blu-ray film collecting kind of phase. It's not and weird. I, well, I, I well, it's weird for me. What are you I, trying to say? No, I just don't. Some people do, buy that. shit. I don't do that often, but I wanted to see this film. And I finally watched it. After okay, like why don't you just go to my room and throw away all the shit that you think is weird? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Nick has eleven months out of the year that are 
weird artsy months. That's so cool. That's yeah. So whatever. Okay. I'm going to go back to this film right now. <laughs> Alex went with me when I went to Barnes and Nobles during the, uh, no, but I just want to say this now, during the Criterion sale. And, yeah. I, and I pulled out an envelope that had the money that I had been saving. Literally, I, I, I mean business when I go and do that uh, shit. Yeah. It's funny because he went in there and he literally picked up like 11 different titles and he's just like, yeah, man, I've been planning for this day for the whole year. I'm like, you know what? That's what I do. If that's your thing, man, more power to you. Well, and it just makes sense to buy them then. So it's like I already know which ones I want to get yeah, but by that it, point. It, it, you also bought some movies that were a little more mainstream than others. In, in which the, ones? <sighs> Wait, you mean, no, I just not didn't which ones. A, didn't you buy a Kurosawa movie then? Yeah. <laughs> Let them finish. No, no, I, I what, guess... What are you eyeing about? <laughs> Nothing. Let them finish. Yeah, no, right, hold on. No, hold on here. For, for real, though. Are you, are, because we're talking about this as side conversation, or because I said Kurosawa no, was I, a, I, a mainstream director. I, I got nothing. Go for it. Okay. No, I, the only reason why I was asking, because I thought you meant like separate from this or something like that. Okay. But no. I think this conversation got a little derailed. It is. Tucson, I know you had another thing to bring up, but how did your Bernie marathon go? My <gasps> Bernie That's marathon? right. It went great. <laughs> it went great. I love that movie. Did you? Did you watch it five times? Yeah, I did. And was it um, everything that you thought it would be? Yeah, it was a good movie. Yeah, and Rachel uh, actually just uh, started her watch of Blade Runner. She really enjoyed it for the first time. So, so okay, really? Because the way you pitched this... Shut the fuck up. No, 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 no. We, I have to get to the bottom of I haven't even of talked this. about Jodorowsky's Dune. <laughs> hold, hold on. We'll get to that. Uh, I need to get to the bottom of this, though. <laughs> Last week, before we all sat down, you came up to us and you said, Hey, you guys, I'm doing a little film challenge thing. Naturally, my ears perked up. Or should I say my hearing aids? And I said, Oh, Tucson, tell us more. And you said, Well, me and a friend are getting together and we're all going to watch a f- uh, the, the same film five times. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. So you can like compare notes and see how it you know changes from... Yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to do. I said, oh, Okay. So an hour later, we find out that you're not watching the same film. <laughs> And, and then, then we're watching the same film individually. Yeah, okay. Well, still, that's misleading. And then we find out a week later that you guys aren't even doing this challenge at the same time. So really, you just watched the film five fucking times in a row for no reason, and now she's going to do the same. We're going to compare notes. Oh, okay. You okay. We're done with this. Anyway, I'm back to Jodorowsky's Dune, because I really wanted to talk about that. Now, did you watch that four times or five times? Shut the fuck up. Anyway, this is my turn. Anyway, it is a documentary on the uh, aborted 1973 of Frank Herbert's sci-fi classic novel Dune by Alejandro Jodorowsky and is the most batshit insane like crazy awesome documentary like for me as a as a sci-fi fan because you have not seen the documentary of the guy throwing up for 36 consecutive minutes in a hospital. <laughs> Let me finish this. Well, I'm just saying anyway, you said it was the most crazy documentary you've ever seen. I'm just saying. Anyway, Jodorowsky's Dune is a documentary of the greatest and most influential science fiction epic that was never made. Because without this film, I guarantee that parts of films like Terminator or Star Wars or Alien would not have existed without this film having like come together as it did. Because Alejandro Jodorowsky... The got, film that didn't come together or, or Dune itself? Like if, if, he, if Alejandro Jodorowsky did not like amass this entire like group, this creative group that went on to go on to other projects such as this, then those films would not have been as awesome as they are, I think. Because like so many of the, con- so many of the concepts that 
made manifest in Star Wars and in Aliens or, or an Alien were first thought up of in Dune. Like, I'm just going to name off some of the people that he was able to bring together for this film, okay? He was able to bring together H.R. Geiger before he became Alien Guy, before he became came the guy who, who designed the Xenomorph. He pr- brought together uh, Chris Foss, who designed a lot of the, the starships in, uh, in Star Wars, and he also designed the ones in here. He brought together Mobius who would then go on to like inspire a lot of the things in like the fifth element and in uh, He-Man, Masters of the Universe and other shit like that. Dan O'Brien, who was a special effects like guru, like he he came up with a lot of the initial stuff for that. And he had actors like first, David Carradine, he had uh, Salvador Dali, who was completely batshit by by the way, because he wanted to be the highest paid actor in Hollywood at that time and says like I want a hundred thousand dollars. For every single minute that I'm on screen, and he was just and he was like, "Okay, we'll just have you in it for for three minutes." Speaking of Salvador Dali, really quick, this is very important. Chuck E. Cheese tweeted out "Happy Birthday" to Salvador Dali <laughs> this did. week, and it was the weirdest. I need uh, to retweet that now. Yeah, oh it was God. the weirdest tweet I've ever seen because <laughs> that's just not <laughs> associated you, with a children's place whatsoever. Jesus. It just it made no sense. I just wanted that people to know that. That is actually the best point of the night so far. <laughs> Why are you following Chuck E. Cheese? Uh, it's, it's, not, it's people started retweeting. Tweeting it, yeah, yeah, people started. It became like a little mini viral thing. I have a question for you, Tucson. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you were. We talked about Mad Max, and I know you're a fan of that and yeah. of George Miller. We talk about documentary of, of films that aren't getting made. Uh, what's your take on the upcoming uh, documentary that apparently is getting made on the, on uh, the Justice League on, film? On, the, on the failed Justice League George Miller film? It's interesting to because I read the. He, he was able to at least get the cast together, some people to sign on. And I knew that Common was going to be signed on to be Jon Stewart, the or as you may know him as, the, the black Green Lantern. The best Green Lantern, in fact, I think. Couldn't uh, be any worse than Ryan Reynolds. Yep, couldn't be worse. Um, I, I, I just don't think that... I think it would have been interesting, but... That that was a long time ago. That was like back in two thousand seven. That was like before. No, no. I'm, what what do you what do you think about the documentary? Do you think that'll be interesting to see? Oh yeah, that would be interesting. Okay. I would totally watch that. That's going to be a really really good documentary. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, and also Jodorowsky's Dune had uh, Orson Welles and it had Mick Jagger. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, Mick Jagger was actually going to be in that movie, and yeah, that was a really cool documentary. You should definitely go see it if you're a huge sci fi fan. And if you just want to watch something that's just totally mind-blowing. Um, I also watched something that wasn't as good. I watched the new Poltergeist film. Ooh. Oh, shit. How was it? Uh, it sucked. Uh, <laughs> Sam Rockwell. Uh, Poltergeist. Uh, or like boring guys. Yes. Yes, indeed, Nick. Yes, indeed. That, uh, it thank o- you. That's it, getting, it, it getting cut right? It opens with a kid <laughs> playing uh, a zombie oh, game on their iPad and Sam Rockwell's... Uh, child in the background calling him a dumbass so that kind of sets the tone for the entire film oh jared harris is cool in it though and the he's always good the the poltergeist dimension that they actually had like a a found footage like drone like flying through that was pretty metal wait so was like the storyline bad or was the acting bad like what was bad about it it just it just was unexceptional it, it just was a was a lukewarm horror film, and it didn't need to be made. And every single scary scene was actually in the fucking trailer. Was, okay, so and it was kind of just like a cookie cutter. Yeah, like, it, it it was just 
It's a remake, right? It's, it's, not, it's a remake. It's not a continuation. Or it's something. not a continuation. It's just... So don't bother going. See it's that. not like they move Definitely in. not worth seeing in the theater. Like, went, is it worth a, like at least a rental? Or go something, see it on or? Netflix. Netflix when it comes on. Okay. Yeah, and that was it. Cool. So yeah, Kenny, you. Uh, I know you and I both uh, were out of town this last Memorial Day weekend, and I know uh, we went on two completely different uh, kinds of trips. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm glad you guys pointed that out. Well. Well, we could have went together. Whatever. No, it's, it's fine. I, Just shut up, Nick. <laughs> Anyways, so I know you uh, went to a, a theme park as you are a big yeah, amusement fan. Shocker. So uh, let's, I, let's hear about how that went. I know that's been well documented on this show. A few times. Yeah. So yeah, I, I didn't, I, again, like I've said in the past, I did not have a very uh, in-detail week in review because I spent the week out in Ohio at um, Cedar Point. I was so if anybody actually wants to watch me at work with my amateur filmmaking skills, and when I say amateur, I mean fucking amateur. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I pretty much I was out there. Um, I, I contribute video to a YouTube channel. Um, some some friends of the show, the In the Loop podcasts. Yeah. Um, I I film and edit and put together videos for their. Yeah, YouTube you've done a, a few videos for them now. Yeah, I got a handful of them on there. Um, yeah, they if, if if you're into theme parks and you're looking for a new another new podcast in your life, check out the the, uh, the in the loop podcast guys. Um, so yeah, I did a a couple of videos for their YouTube channel. That's you, all I've been up to this week. Yeah, and uh, you you went to Cedar Point. The 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 big re- the reason you went there to video was not just to go to Cedar Point, right? There were events happening over yeah, Memorial Day. Weekend, yeah, there right? were there were a couple of events. Uh, they they got some some new rides. I was getting footage of stuff for that, and they had a. Most importantly, they had a, a beer and barbecue okay. event going on. The so real reason why you went. The, the real reason. So I got good and liquored up and did some, some video work. All so, right. So. Well, if you want to see some shaky cam with bad commentary, <laughs> watch Kenny's video. Yeah, uh, yeah, check out the In The Loop channel on, on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, I also uh, had an experience where alcohol was involved for at least part of the time. Uh, my wife surprised me with a trip to Las Vegas uh, for Memorial Day weekend for that's my a, birthday. That's a keeper right there. Yes, surprise was, trip. What a great, what a great uh, birthday present! So thank you, my wife, uh, for taking me. Uh, the big thing we went there for was to uh, see the uh, UFC pay per view that happened over the weekend. Uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, the uh, beginning of it, the first few fights were uh, a little boring, so I was a little worried, uh, but it uh, turned out to be a great uh, event. Who was headlining? Uh, the, they had two headlining fights. One was uh, for the uh, recently vacated light heavyweight championship, which uh, Daniel Cormier beat Anthony Johnson. And then the uh, middleweight championship, which uh, has been on tap to be contested for... Over a year now, uh, between Chris Weidman and Vitor Belfort. A couple names I know. Yeah. Well, Vitor Belfort uh, is a Brazilian who was uh, way into steroids and uh, had to get off them. And he was noticeably smaller this time around than his last fight. So nice. uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. Good deal. Um, the big thing, and this how this kind of relates, is that the UFC is known for doing very... Uh, okay promotional videos and uh, they put out a terrific promotional one minute commercially video for uh, their pay-per-view in July which will feature Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor and if you want to find it um, you can pretty much find it just search UFC 189 promo on YouTube and you'll find it and it's 
It's crazy overproduced. Yeah, but crazy. It features them. I mean, obviously, it was all done CGI. But walking down the strip with no other people or cars around, walking towards each other, and then people start gathering around them, and then they meet, and then it just all of a sudden with no church in the wild booming in the background. Yeah, and it, great camera work. Good, actually, for a promo, actually, pretty good lighting. I thought for a, a promo for a UFC fight. I mean, obviously, they hired people who actually do video work for these unlike usual where it's not like that it's at kinda all. It's kind of nuts because Conor McGregor is like a big time up and coming guy yeah. in the UFC and this is already going to be a, a huge fight for them. I I don't quite understand why they had to go over the top with the production value here. Because they want to go over the top with their pay-per-view buys. So I guess. We'll see. They haven't had a uh, a pay-per-view buy over a million uh, in almost two years now. So I think they will here. I would think so as well. But if you want to check that out, it's on YouTube, and I I think it's worth it. But but watch my YouTube channel first. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, make sure you check out In the Loop <laughs> and Kenny talking about how great beer was at Cedar yeah. Point last weekend. It's funny because you can tell listening <laughs> to me talk, like, I get drunker and drunker. And, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like, I'm not kidding. It's, <laughs> like, I, it was kind of embarrassing. I watched it again today. <laughs> it's kind of rough. <laughs> hey, man. It's on the internet. It's on there forever, man. So remember that when when uh, you are popular and there's going to be video of you ever being like, this is some awesome fucking chicken. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Speaking of on the internet Awkward forever. transition for yeah. the host here, huh? So this is why you guys need my interjections. <laughs> <laughs> Without you, we'd just be lost in the forest. Have you ever wondered what would happen if all the great thinkers decided to get together and actually change the world for the better? And the result was... Well, miracles. Who are you? I'm the future. They're coming. She's full of surprises. We have to go! The place I saw. It exists? Of course it does. But if you didn't come with me, it went for much longer. Dreamers need to stick together. With every second that ticks by, the future running out what if there was a place a secret place where nothing was impossible you're not saying this Casey stop it what you saw was a place where the best and the brightest people of the world came together to actually change it We've been looking for someone like you for a very long time. You wanted to see Tomorrowland. Here it comes. The movie we're talking about this week is the new Disney film Tomorrowland, starring George Clooney, Hugh Laurie, and uh, Britt Robertson as the main character, Casey Newton. Uh, also, if you uh, thought you recognized her father, you were correct. That was Tim McGraw playing her father uh, without a cowboy hat this time. I, yeah, that was the only reason why I really couldn't figure it out. Not the cowboy hat, but like he wasn't doing any kind of southern drawl. So like it, it was literally one of those situations where the entire movie I was waiting till the credits just so I could confirm that it was Tim McGraw. I, the only reason I knew it was Tim McGraw, and, and first of all, I thought you were saying by if you recognize her, you would know her father. I thought it was one of the 
if there's anybody out here who watches the the uh, Duck Dynasty show, I thought it was one of the Robertsons. You were about <laughs> to blow my mind, but anyway, I, I knew it was t- I knew it was Tim McGraw because I actually really liked Tim McGraw. I saw him in the what was that football Friday movie? Night Lights? Blindside? No, Blindside. Yeah. Uh, well, he's in Friday Night Lights yeah. too, so he was technically he, we're both right. He was Sandra Bullock's <laughs> husband in uh, the Blindside. Yeah, I really like him. I was glad he was in it. Those were the the, uh, the other. Three were the main three characters, and also um, Raph, R- Rafi Cassidy played uh, the character of Athena. Also, she was another main character. It's directed by Brad Bird, who has uh, done a lot of quality work lately. Uh, you all probably know him from The Incredibles. Also, uh, he did that uh, last uh, Mission Impossible movie, which got a lot of praise. And? Fantastic. The Iron Giant. Oh, well, sorry. I forgot about that. You'd never forget about The Iron Giant. I guess apparently you don't. Um, and uh, also, great movie. the uh, screenplay writer and the story for uh, this uh, film was written by Damon Lindelof, who uh, wrote Prometheus. Boo! His uh, best work to date. Uh, he's also uh, known for... Uh, <laughs> best work to date. I was, I was joking. Oh, okay. He's also known as the creator of Lost. He also wrote Prometheus, Star Trek Into Darkness, the World War Z uh, screenplay, and he also is the creator of the HBO series Leftovers. That's such a... Sterling, like track record right there. I mean, two of those things are good. Like I'll... Lost and and the leftovers and I like yeah. World War Z. There's going to be a Maybe. sequel. Get excited. <sighs> well, well, okay. <laughs> Anyways, if you don't know anything about uh, this movie, and we're going to be talking about it uh, fully in detail, uh, bound by a shared destiny, a team bursting with scientific curiosity, and a former boy genius embark on a mission to unearth the secrets of a place somewhere in time that exists in their collective memory. So, uh, Tomorrowland uh, came out last weekend, and... Uh, I think we should start uh, with Nicholas, as uh, he had some pretty interesting thoughts on it. So let's uh, hear what he had to say about it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, <laughs> I, surprisingly, and even uh, to surprise myself, I love this movie. I it's, it's not so much that I think that this is in any way perfect or even close to it. I just I was, I was just so enthralled to see an original and I know you or somebody else might fight me on that that prospect that it's quote unquote original but it is because just because it's called Tomorrowland and just because it was inspired by you know the 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 section of the theme park Tomorrowland itself is not actually a theme park it's just, no, it's, it's, just a, it's one of the right. six or seven lands in right. Disney World and Disneyland. When you watch this film, though, you really don't see any trace of that. It was just more of like, a, just that's in, obviously where he got the idea from. Just in the beginning. Right, but then he created his own story that has nothing to do with that it really, park. It really, at the end of the day, they just took the name. Yeah. There is a an in-universe tie-in to like the actual Tomorrowland and this Tomorrowland, which I will explain. Okay. But that was a deleted thing, though, right? Or that no, that's an actual about? canon thing in this universe. For why? Well, I'm just saying, was it in the actual film we watched, or was it the animated clip that? It's not just the animated okay. clip; it's also in like the entire backstory of Tomorrowland. Right. But yeah, then we will get to that. Um, but in general, I was just like I said, I was so happy to see something that I felt like I hadn't been seen before because it's it's not a sequel, it's not a remake, it's not. Which I know doesn't mean that it that means it's good or anything like that. So I'm not trying to say that that. But that was all at least that's why I was excited for it. I'll say that much. 
Having going to see it though, I was pleasantly surprised that I I just I just love Brad Bird uh, as a director and how he's able to handle set pieces. I mean, I was a huge fan of the the fourth Mission Impossible film, and I've loved his animated work too, like the Iron Giant and the uh, the Incredibles, and you name it. So I've never seen a Brad Bird fa- uh, film that I haven't liked, and I thought this was going to be the first one. And I don't even necessarily think I like it as much as like his past projects, but I totally understand why he would like pass on Star Wars to make something like this because only he was going to make this and I'm, I'm glad that he at least set out to do that in this day and age I feel like so many of the like Marvel blockbusters and just kind of other uh, you know retreads and such I it's, it's so blunt but I, I do think that we have this fixation with dystopias and like how we just think that like we, you know, it's like ever since The Dark Knight came out, everybody's just been clamoring for more seriousness in there and more kind of dark, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but like uh, dark worlds to enter because they think that that is somehow more realistic. But what I loved about this film was that I thought it posited the fact that like it's not so much that it is more realistic. We just started to want it more because it was the only way we could cope with what what it was happening in our real world, like things like nine eleven, which... It, it sounds silly to say, but does have an impact on like our, our media yeah. and what we want out of escapism and entertainment and whatnot. So I was just in love with the fact that a, a, a director took a studio like Disney uh, and basically made this passion project with their money. And for me, the movie mostly worked. It's not so much that it it was like perfect or anything like that, but I was pretty much engaged from start to finish with all the major set pieces, and I was never, you know, I was never bored uh, personally. And I also, and this is of course where it's going to start to, where you'll start to draw the line on whether you're going to like this film or not. But I was so happy to see a, a science fiction film decide to talk about its problems instead of blow shit up to try to solve them. Because in a movie like this, when you're when you are uh, trying to get, because this really is a message movie at the end of the day, and that can rub some people the wrong way, which is I totally understand. Not everybody wants that out of a movie, and even myself. Like, if every movie was like Tomorrowland, then Hollywood would be would be pretty insufferable. But I feel like these days, so many movies are unconcerned with the message that they're sending. That I was just so on board with this because at least. I, I could feel the passion involved between the director and the writer, uh, you know, Lindelof and Bird. That like, no matter how blunt it got, I was just happy that someone wanted to have this cinematic conversation with me. So I mean, I can say a lot more about it, but um, I, I was a big fan. Okay, so Toussaint, tell tell us more about uh, what you were uh, bringing up just a couple minutes ago um, about the background, the the tie-in for the Walt Disney Tomorrowland and this Tomorrowland. Okay, so I'm going to have to go back into some storytelling like canon for this, right? So Tomorrowland in this film is a planet in an alternate dimension that was discovered, get this, um, in 1889, a little bit later after that, by four super geniuses, which were Gustav Eiffel, uh, Jules Verne, Nikola Tesla, and get this... uh, Thomas Edison, who apparently decided to put aside their blood feud in order to create a secret society in order to find another planet. That was the one thing for me, knowing the history between those two, and I'm just like, are you fucking serious? For the most part... It was all a smokescreen, man. 
for for the most part, people Dude. were not fans of Thomas Edison, and especially people in the film industry. So yeah, he ran a vertical and horizontal monopoly, and he was a total <laughs> fucking asshole who pretty much stole a lot of his fucking inventions. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be that guy. Um, anyway, I don't think he cares. He's dead. <laughs> Good. Anyway, uh, well, he would have been like oh, two hundred oh, years okay. old now if he had lived. So, so you know, whatever. Basically, these people form a secret society called Plus Ultra, which I actually learned what the origin of that name is because a lot of people have been like taking the piss out of it. It's actually drawn from a Latin phrase, which means non plus ultra, which in antiquity meant no further beyond this, which was like a comment on human hubris. But right. they adopted it as to say, is like, we have to go further than this right. because if we don't, then our entire like life will mean nothing and the human race will be wiped out anyway. Um, the 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 connection between Walt Disney's Tomorrowland and this universe's Tomorrowland is that in this universe – Walt Disney was actually um, contracted by the people behind the actual Tomorrowland in order to package Tomorrowland for regular people, people in our world, in order to kind of like wean them on the idea of techno-optimism and futurism in that time so that eventually down the line what their original plan was to bridge the gap between these two worlds and allow people to go to Tomorrowland, it wouldn't just be um, a total – Mind fuck. Wait a minute. For lack of a better word. I'm confused. Are you talking about the real Tomorrowland that exists in Disney? Yes. That's that's how it actually ropes into like because this, why this, this, this you, property is named Tomorrowland. Yeah. Why why is it named after Tomorrowland? In the actual story, Walt Disney's Tomorrowland is actually named after this Tomorrowland. It, it's a, it's a kind of like like a, it's like, almost like retconning it's, it's revision, human history. It's a revisionist history, really. It, it's 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 so, so. This is an actual story that existed before Walt Disney created. That's what the, that's that's what the fictional story is trying to create around itself. But literally, no. Like it was. Yeah. yeah like it was okay. Lindelof and Brad Bird getting together to say, like, what kind of a story can we tell with yeah. this? And gotcha. then, so yeah, it's 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 almost like a. The the big scale, large scale version of like a Happy Meal. Like mm-hmm. we have this, and we want to promote it. So have movies goers go see this, and then think that it somehow yeah. does tie into this. That makes sense. In, gotcha. re- in regard to my feelings about Tomorrowland, I'll admit that I came out of the film and I really did enjoy it. But I can, I was totally conscious all all the while of the criticisms of this film, and I felt like the universe of Tomorrowland is something that I thought was really interesting. The film itself felt kind of lackluster. I I think that Tomorrowland, a lot of people will criticize it as being um, obnoxiously optimistic to the point of being saccharine, being artificially sweet, but I think that this really, this film is a litmus test for techno-optimism. It's very much died in the uh, the 1950s, 1960s, like space age um, futurism, brand of futurism. I was going to say one thing really quick. Um, I could understand if somebody had a problem with this for being like too optimistic, but I could never understand if somebody thought this was saccharine in any way because I don't necessarily see this movie in any way trying to be overly sweet. Even no, the I, I can, final montage, you know, in the I film. I can actually with, argue like saccharine in, in, in. Okay, that's what I want to know. Okay, I will. Kind of backtrack a little bit. We'll like be back later, guys. About about that brand of <laughs> retro, <laughs> I, that brand of retro futurism from the nineteen fifties and sixties, oh, right, <laughs> where people believed, like 
back around like Tomorrowland's era was like we believed that technology was something that was going to exonerate us of our collective faults and it was going to collectively elevate everyone to the peak of their potential individually. Whereas nowadays it's not so much we don't dream of going to other planets so much. As a broad cultural conscious sort of thing, we just kind of like use technology in a way that's kind of inverted. Well, and there, and there was a line in the movie about trying as hard, giving up is easy. Yeah. And I feel like, sadly, that is the belief nowadays yeah. amongst... I mean, in this day and age, we did shut down NASA. We did uh, continually look for what I would consider like the easy way out. Like that seems to inform our technological uh, progression. It's not so much that we're trying to make innovations. We're just trying to make, uh, you know, uh, things to get by easier. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, look at even if you want to just talk about shutting down NASA. I mean, you want to talk about the, the world we live in. What about just one year after we made it to the moon? There was talk of NASA getting all of their cut, their funding cut because the only reason that they were getting funded was so they could beat the, space, the Russians yeah, to the moon the space right. race, yeah. to not actually do a space exploration, but just to have a fucking dick measuring contest with the Russians. And it, it measures just... as far as the moon. So many of our, that's why they put the flag up there. So many of our like national, I would say fascinations with trying to get to point like, you know, point from point A to point B, whether even if it's something as like great and grand as something like curing cancer, it, we, we never have like some kind of plan for what the next step would be. It's always, how can we get there? And then we're so surprised that when we, if we did get there, that like all of a sudden we're still just as I would say, like, we're not off the hook yet because if you find, you know, if you give a mouse a cookie, things will always lead to other things. So that's the whole point. And that's what I kind of liked about so this are, movie. Are you, are you kind of talking about like what, what Malcolm says in the first Jurassic Park where he's talking about i know i know what you're saying yeah where he's talking to john hammond about that you tried to do this thing and you 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 figured it out and you and you discovered this but you didn't actually like you you it was almost like a cheat like you you found a way around actually learning the science of it and you found this the whole god creates dinosaur god destroys dinosaur but but they they didn't go about it the right way like they found a a loophole into creating dinosaurs where they shouldn't have been like like life life chose them to die and now they're not but but what i'm saying about kind of tying back to what you're talking about is that you know did did you know these things really we really go for it if we found out the cure to cancer like did we really put the work into it to find out why we were wanting to cure cancer right because we're so obsessed with getting the answer which of course in a like case like that would be a great thing or you know whatever the dinosaurs or the cancer <laughs> the, the cancer <laughs> um, but we're so obsessed with getting to that end point that we don't stop to learn anything from how we got there and therefore can't apply it to any other useful practices and I mean it's kind of like if you look at like the way we progress in technology these days it's almost sad that like um, phones okay let's, let's just put this an example right phones today compared to what they were like 10 I'll say like cell phones specifically obviously compared to like what they were 10 maybe 15 years ago obviously when they were first starting or whatever they look completely different I mean they can do so many more things my hearing aids look barely any different because we're just not that concerned with anything that actually would probably improve human life it's because your hearing aids are utilitarian they have their purpose from the very beginning like they're 
meant the, the name is right in there. It's like they're meant to aid their your hearing. Right. No, but I'm just saying like it, it, they're a technological device that because the let's just say like you know uh, the upper elite probably don't need them as much as they need a cell phone or something like that. Funds are not obviously being uh, divvied up to. I would say in a. When, when you just look at like what we're spending money on as a nation, it's like you you really think that the, we can't find the cure for cancer or we can't make progress on this. If well, we probably could if we stopped spending money on you know things that we don't need to be upgraded every fucking year. Well, that's and my wife has this argument with me all the time about sports athletes, and she's like, "Yeah, that guy makes thirty six million dollars a year, and teachers in this state can't make more than so and so amount." Which yeah. I try to explain to her that nobody is sitting down and forking money over to watch teachers teach, which is the unfortunate truth of what this right. nation is. Yeah, but Pay that whole for teaching. Oh man, that'd be crazy. <laughs> What's that? Pay per view for for Pay-per-view. teaching. That would be good. Yeah, it's pretty much what college is becoming. Cage match. Right? Yeah. Um, I want to but... see Miss Frizzle's biology class. But to tie it back to Tomorrowland, uh, when it comes to like you know like the chosen few and that kind of thing, like I don't know, that's that's kind of why I responded to this. I like the idea. Just hold on. Okay. Uh, I like the idea of the idea that, like for me, what I left this movie with was that there there just because it seems like society has given up, like as a whole, doesn't mean that everybody has. So if those people who haven't would just kind of talk a little louder mm. and with each other, then maybe we could get somewhere else. Yeah. I, I, I totally touch into that sentiment. And I think that that is very much in common with another film that I feel like fits into this broader kind of like movement of thought, like interstellar, which is trying to bring more yeah. optimism and more kind of like star eyed hopefulness about expanding into the stars and like having a space program. That's a movie like that. to me that feels more saccharine. I mean, you literally have characters yeah. saying love is the only undeniable force. Yeah, in this but, space. You, but you also have a, uh, a, a counter, which says that's a 99.99% chance that the world will end within 58 days. But then, Casey says, there's always hope. And then it just like jolts for a little bit. And then we have the whole fatalism is powered by tachyons. I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that in a little second. Um, but what I, what I think this, this film kind of really touches into is there's this, this word that I've been using uh, a couple of times whenever we talk about AI or about current trends in, uh, films and how they kind of like outreach into the broader culture at large and it's zeitgeist and zeitgeist in german uh translates to the spirit of the age and it's kind of like the cyclical relationship between art and life whereas our art is born out of the the kind of societal concerns that are going on in our lives and in turn our art often not only reflects but also goes on to uh inform the shape of life of, of how we engage with with real life problems like the the most the most salient example i can think of is how the film v for vendetta which was an adaptation of a graphic novel by alan moore and it has more in line with it's it's, it's really a a post 9-11 like action superhero vigilante thriller sort of film and how the guy fox mass was then co-opted by um, certain type of internet activists and real-life activists such as Anonymous and other things like that in order to protest like corporate corruption and other sorts of like yeah, social but, issues and but, stuff like that. But see, for me, if just with that 
point you're making right now, that just buys into the whole whole thing that even they mentioned in V for Vendetta, where someone puts the Guy Fox mask on and suddenly he can do whatever he wants because he's worried. I he, didn't. He, I he didn't ca- say that people were ca- smart. Kind of missing Alex. I said that art informs life. <laughs> kind of missing the point of what that film was trying to say. I think sometimes yeah. at least, but. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Yeah. I'm not. Ag- I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying that that's a very prime example of that. We won't have to worry about that with Tomorrowland because nobody saw it this weekend. Yeah, it was we, not. We, uh, we didn't mention that, but that did uh, not do well at the box. And yet, it still somehow won the. Uh, the I was going to say, which it wasn't is pretty the only poor. Fucking Pitch Perfect two. Okay. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, box office uh, did not do too well over the long weekend. Yeah. No. Which is sad because this is kind of what I was going to go on. Uh, I went on a little Twitter rant the other day, and um, one thing that made me sad about the idea that this movie did not perform well, because I totally understand if someone doesn't like this movie, but the fact that not a lot of people went out and went and saw it this weekend, that's the same way, now I understand why, just from an aesthetic level, but the same way that people went out and saw Mad Max or Pitch Perfect 2 last weekend, you know, whatever, is that I hear so many complaints about like feminist, not complaints, but uh, so much praise about like the feminism in Mad Max, and I hear so many complaints about like how Marvel as a big studio, it's owned by Disney, or right, yeah, yeah. Um, won't allow a woman to like back up their big studio films until they finally cave. And then there's a woman starring role, and no one goes to see it. Yeah, and so that's the thing is that here we have a movie, unlike Mad Max, where the idea that she's a, a woman number one comes up because the I would say. One thing that I loved about this movie was that it wasn't until the very end that I realized how empowering this movie is as far as in feminist like cinema because it never like Mad Max that's just a very blatant look at uh empowerment because it's literally the villains are your misogynist patriarchal uh running around screaming villains where here like we, <laughs> we don't even know who the villain is until the very end of the movie yeah, for the and, most part and here we have a female character who is a clearly equal to or if not better than all the other people because she's the one that actually saved the world in, in a theoretical sense i'm just saying it's what the movie Positive. Um, she has no tragic backstory to fuel her revenge, which or not revenge, but to fuel her uh, quest, which means that she gets her power from within, which I don't know that you could quite say that about somebody like Furiosa from Mad Max, who they do have to say, like, oh, well, she was a sex slave, and, you know, her world... She wears her loss on her sleeve. Exactly. But she also... Her robot sleeve. If you don't mind, yep. she also, for me at least, was more of a true character than just a magical chosen one type thing. Like I felt like she was more like a Frodo Baggins than You're talking about Tomorrowland? Yes. Okay, yeah. I thought you were talking about Furiosa. Oh no 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 I'm talking about Tomorrowland. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, no, but yes. The the lead character in Tomorrowland, I I felt she was much more like Frodo where she was a there wasn't anything extremely special about her. Right. But she had that aura about her to be Whereas like someone like Neo in the Matrix who is played on being this magical chosen one just because he is Yes. No, like there's no prophecy. It's not yeah. so much it's because of the fact that she didn't she you know, it's like that her strength didn't come from a place of narcissism of me going, I am the best and like But that's what I'm saying. She's much more of like a, a true leader and hero than just a chosen magical yeah. handed on a platter type thing and even really quickly going along with the themes of like feminism and this isn't like a like a feminist movie or something like that you would no. teach like 
in a feminist course, right? I'm not trying to say that, but like, just think about what we're ignoring as a society and yet still complaining about, uh, you know, not getting the movies that we want. Well, here one just came out and apparently we don't want it, which was another thing. But think about the way that uh, that character was introduced, which is a scene we've seen so many times before, literally in the movie uh, Tron Legacy, where you have a uh, cool, und- uh, undistinguished biker because the helmet's on, roar through the night and get to where, you know, that person's going. And we typically usually see a man in that kind of uh, role and in that scene. And then when she gets to her destination... Industrial sabotage. Yeah, but not only that, but when she gets to her destination, she takes off her helmet and there's no, like, zoom in and, like, her shaking her hair. It's like, but it's a woman! Because it's just the film never is once ever concentrated on the fact Who of plays gender. Casey? Britt Robertson. Britt Robertson. I want, I want Who the, gets top billing on the poster for this film? George now? Clooney. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just because of, like, star power. I mean, that's not... Famous. However, we're saying all this about, like, the feminist view for this film. I feel like Disney chose her because she looks like Jennifer Lawrence. Like, that was the only thing I kept thinking the entire movie is, oh, I this looks like... she looked that similar. Really? No, I, 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 the whole movie, I was just thinking, bargain Jennifer Lawrence. Also, too, I was like, Damn. oh, they need a younger version of her. Britt Robertson is actually older than Jennifer Lawrence. She's I, 25 years I old. I actually <laughs> really didn't like Britt Robertson. She was kind of too bubbly and over the top, and I, well, I didn't give, like Well, give her us more all. on your, your feelings, because Nick and Tucson have talked up a storm over here, and we have been sitting here nice and quietly, <laughs> so let's hear what you had to say about it. Um, I was excited about this movie, and I liked it for the most part. Um. But I, I do have mixed feelings about it, although kind of what you guys were touching on before. It, it, I, I really enjoyed the underlying theme where it's the whole kind of being positive and being a believer and just dreaming up things and being creative. I, like, I related to that. That's the kind of person I am, and I enjoyed that, although I feel like the story kind of got bogged down and maybe wasn't told the best it could have could have gone a little better in many ways. I I honestly feel like same storyline done by another production other than Disney. I maybe would have even liked it more. Um, maybe that's what I didn't like about Britt Robertson so much. That she you know she had that kind of Disney charm where they were aiming some of the humor at you know family type scenarios, and it just it didn't hit with me. But that being said, this movie and I, you know. There, there, there's many descriptive words that come to mind with this movie. It was very original. It was very creative. It was very inspirational at times. It was exciting. It was imaginative. It was, it was beautiful. The world that they created was beautiful. However, it, it takes a turn and it gets, it gets depressing. It gets shameful. It gets judgmental. Mm-hmm. It gets dark. And it even got kind of confused. At you know, like it, it got confused in itself. I felt like. At a certain point, and well, but that's that, that's totally a Disney motif. I mean, look at look at Wreck It Ralph. Like when the scene when King Candy becomes yeah. that monster, and there's the storm cloud, and the things are eating. I mean, almost every Disney movie by the book has the exact same thing happen with the villain towards the end of the movie. Especially, literally, going off. I this is so weird, but actually, Wreck It Ralph came to my head the minute you said the word confused, because that is kind of a Disney thing, too, where they get so concerned with sending a message that they don't realize that in sending that message so hard, uh, they can sometimes trip over themselves. Like, for example, Wreck It Ralph, by the time you get to the end of that movie, 
what is the message of that film? Is the message that you should basically be a villain if that's what suits <laughs> you, or that you should be yourself? Like, it, there's a weird double-edged sword. Remain to, within your cast. Yeah. Well, like, there's something weird like that. And I do think, so, j- just like this, where when you try to sell a message so hard, any contradiction will become that much more evident in the script. Well, so I totally and, understand and, and that. And with Disney movies, sure, it gets dark and it takes a turning point on something or someone in the movie, but... I don't recall too many Disney movies turning on the main point it's trying to make. Now, when you say it gets dark, just so I want to make sure I understand what you're talking about, are you talking about like the, the actual, like where they get the glimpse of the end of the world type yeah, thing? Yeah, and, and I'm talking about literally Disney. The, all I could think was Disney literally whipped out their thematic dick and slapped every person in the audience in the face. Like, they, they took Hugh Laurie... That was me high-fiving him. They took a steaming dump on everybody and tried to make you feel shamed and to How blame. How dare you like Mad Max Fury Road? I, yeah, <laughs> I can totally see where you're coming from. I guess I feel like the word shame didn't enter into the movie well, for no. me because I thought what they were trying to say was, look at what will happen if we all continue to make this mistake. I guess I didn't see of a but place... But that argument is bullshit from... from the governor Nick's guy. Like, does everybody like see like why that that argument doesn't fucking work? As I was just yeah, but he's saying, the villain. It's not so much yeah. that what he's saying is necessarily well, correct. However, I, I I guess what I liked about that final confrontation of them, like all just kind of hashing it out uh, by the portal or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, yeah. is that I thought what was great was that I thought almost everybody has valid points, and that's that's our problem. Go- Governor Nix's points, like, while they are valid, they're also self doesn't mean everything he said was valid. S- s- like, you don't understand where he comes from? Where Does he come from Earth, or does he come from Tomorrowland? No, that's... Okay, I didn't mean literally. I meant from a thematic standpoint. I also mean that, too. Are we talking about like, House? Is that what we're talking yeah. about? Yeah, oh. the Pilori character. <laughs> okay, I get... Yeah, okay. From thematic. What I'm saying as far as, like... Okay, I, I'm not trying to condone what he was doing. Like, I feel like you're twisting my words no, here. I don't mean to. I'm what, sorry. what I'm saying is that as somebody who I can understand, like, why somebody would get fed up with the current state of, like, let's ignore our problems until they become bigger problems. I mean, we just um, – I'm just saying, like, and I don't want to get political or anything like that, but, like, let's just bring up an example, like, something like global warming, which you have people that think it's not a problem and you have people that do think it's a problem. I'm not going to even say where I come down or where you guys come down or anything like that, but is that not the kind of thing that, like, you could understand why someone would say, like, if you really don't think it's going to be a problem, then fine. Let it not be a problem and see if you start complaining in, like, you know, a year or two. Like, do you, do you not see where somebody could get fed up with that mentality? Yeah. I now, can... he is a villain because he took it too far. Like, can... he, he made the wrong choice. I, I want to interject and say this because – Although I'm saying it got depressing at a point, yeah. I'm only saying that because it was riding such a high for so long throughout the first half of the movie that once it took this turn, it just it was a very real, very sobering moment. And and I don't even dislike what it did. Yeah. I, I I like the the point the point within a point it was trying to make that if we continue down this path as a society, it's gonna be the ultimate demise of us. I'm it was it was. Again, I, I'm not trying to say I didn't like this part of it. I'm, I was just simply pointing out the descriptive words that were coming to mind. But it it went through a a very 
you know, strong change in it's emotions. Definitely, since it is a Disney film, it's definitely a harsh, uh, you know, like outlook for something that children might be seeing. As far as yeah. like this can happen in, in some way or another. To so, I'll say one thing just to kind of clear what I'm okay. saying. Okay. The reason why I like this as a message movie okay. is not because I care about what is saying i just care that it's trying to open up this dialogue okay and so i feel like any dialogue like this is going to be messy and there's going to be shit flung from both sides that makes no sense of whatever but what movie in any recent memory has even tried to use i would say the power of cinema and in my opinion do it in an entertaining way and that's of course somebody can disagree with that but that's why I liked it to address I, these sort of issues not from a, a kind of like, like peripheral oh, sideway view but actually to like face them on their face right and not say something like we have to overthrow our government or whatever yeah. but, all but we have government to do... is actually a metaphor for global warming yeah but just say why don't we just have a fucking talk like that's just kind of like the, yeah. the sentiment I got from this movie really so yeah. that's why I, I guess I haven't thought too hard into like the if you want to call it like and ran philosophies or whatever. I, just, I, just, I know I, I figured you were going to get to that. I was going to get into that. I'm just that. saying, like, I can understand if someone sees that, but, like, I just don't care because it's a Disney movie. And so that's what just impressed me the most, that we're not just, like, saying this to, like, but we are speaking to the future and not to the past. So I, I, I really enjoyed it. Well, yeah. the, um, go ahead, man. I, I was just to say to wrap up what I thought about the movie, um, I, I, I liked the story behind it like the the point that it was trying to make is what i really enjoyed whether it was good or bad um i i enjoyed both points that they were trying to make i just felt like the the story itself kind of got clunky at times the whole i I don't know maybe they could have executed better how i don't know i don't have the first half they don't they don't don't pay me enough to come up with these ideas i would say the middle hour is definitely uh elongated in a way it doesn't have to be i mean i i understand that the the way that it all worked was with the pin and everything, but there were moments where, like when she went to Texas and was at the the little gift shop trying to trace back what the pin that meant scene and, was awesome because I of, like that as because of all the uh, the tie ins to like previous like Brad Bird things like if you can yeah. actually looked at the back of the uh, who is it who has the dreadlocks is it key Keegan. or a it's Keegan. Yeah. Keegan? Yeah. It's like when you actually like look behind it, it's like, oh, look, there are all those like convenient Iron Giant like like action figures in the background. And like one of the uh, the Mr. Incredible action figures like falls for like the time warp thing. Yeah. That scene totally reminded me of a scene from Men in Black. I don't know why. Yeah. With a god awful yeah. wig and his fake fat he belly. He like that guy. Yeah. Oh, and those guns too. I mean, I, I don't know how those couldn't remind you of something like Men in Black. Um,. I haven't really said too much about my feelings. I feel like I am probably the lowest of everybody on this film. Um, Although I agree with you guys that I think the overall message for this film is good. I think what they were going for is, is something to shoot for in terms of a message. Um, In terms of like the thematic experience for this film, it just was not there for me throughout the entire film. I mean, themes are message. So like, are you talking like, well, in, in terms of you appreciate you appreciate the sentiment of the message, but not the way that it was actually communicated. Yeah, I, I guess I probably said that incorrectly. But like in, in terms of feeling the themes throughout the film and, and having a theatrical experience, it just really wasn't all putting it together for me. I feel like this movie just was so slow and plotting at points, and it just I just was never able to get behind it. And in you were saying about how this movie having a positive outlook on it. I feel like this movie is just filled with mopeness throughout a lot of it, which is kind of 
I know it has a positive message in the end, but uh, for a good, this is a pretty long movie for Disney, two hours and 10 minutes for a good hour and 30 minutes were spent with, you know, George Clooney being negative Nancy for the entire time. I liked well, his, uh, is, his yeah. rant at Casey after she got knocked down on her back. And like, there's the, you know, the one scene where he's like, staring at the camera and there's like a lens flare like behind his face and it's just like like this pin was an invitation to a party that never happened which is kind of like talking about Tomorrowland like the entire concept of futurism to begin with so I thought that was cool. Well George Clooney's negativeness though was brought to the front and in the end it was, that was like his character journey so yeah that, like it was uh, it was proven why he was so negative. and i totally get that but also he has to play opposite to casey who's yeah. got to be the bubbly so it's more just like a marty mcfly doc brown type relationship where they have this uh well, I, I thought no, so I, at least yeah. where you have this plucky young person kind of sidekicking with a more i would say like rough around the edges uh you know, older middle-aged person. I suppose that's true, but I feel like Marty McFly and Doc Brown were getting into that. They were both optimistic. Specific it's just like, property. Right. They were both on the same page for the entire film, where, where the characters were not in this film. Well, my biggest problem right. was George Clooney having a love attraction to this little ten-year-old girl. Well, oh, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, I get she was a robot. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie, only because of the fact that I thought it was one of those like on paper it sounds horrible, but I thought for me at least like it actually worked the, uh, the way that it was communicated is just like this this kid like w- this kid was recruited into this amazing new world by this amazing little girl who turns out is not who he, who is no, actually who it's supposed I, to be i, I, I know it. I, I'm, I, not, I, I'm not i'm not I totally, dumb i get I, it no i totally yeah, get where you're coming from i know i know it's really <laughs> fucking weird but it's just like like empathizing with like george clooney's character i was like man that it, fucking sucks if you think about this movie the the emotional climax of the movie is between them it's it's right. him literally learning to let go call me shallow but no. getting up. i won't well it's not shallow but i think one thing about that scene and their relationship if that's what you want to call it but is that it's more of like a metaphor for letting go of what happened to him in the past so that way he could yeah. actually try to build a better future and yeah. that's kind of where that came in and I never thought it was creepy or anything like that no, I like, thought Athena was my she was my favorite character in the entire dude, film dude when she did that fucking like Terminator Judgment Day run and just like <laughs> slammed into like the middle the the, oh, the yeah. back window of Casey's truck I was like this is a better Terminator movie than Terminator Genesis. I want to say something really controversial that you guys can throw your beer bottles at me but the fight scene <laughs> in ready. the comic book uh not the comic book, but the memorabilia store with yeah. the two people and her, I thought was better choreographed than anything I saw in the movie Kingsman. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Oh no, not <laughs> as controversial as I thought it would be. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, it didn't have as like when you're comparing that to Kingsman. Kingsman obviously had like the style where it just had to like zoom into the actual action, right. and just like have like these money shots, like mini money. But shots I'm just saying what people were saying out. about that movie. That's yeah. what I felt about just this brief little scene or whatever. Yeah, the choreography was great. The yeah. Kingsman fight in the church to Leonard Skinner was America through and through. America. <laughs> Only because I thought that they really sold the idea for me that this, you know. Ten-year-old was actually kicking ass, and that yeah. like they—I don't know if it's trick photography or just like wires or I, what. But I was yeah. a huge fan of her character. She was yeah. the best part of the movie for me. I, I enjoyed the way she talked with all the other characters, and she did not talk like a child or anything like that. And it was that was great. Um, the, the reason uh, this is so stupid, like the the real reason why I I couldn't get past this film and I I, I didn't like it for the for the most part. 
is because I was so excited that Hugh Laurie was finally making his trip back into a mainstream American thing, and he was awful in this movie. He was on screen for all awful, of like, awful, awful, I'm, terrible. I'm taking this just like I took your fucking bored during Mad Max comment last week. What do you mean awful, dude? I mean, Seriously, I, awful. I, he was. I mean, Can I talk about awful? his shitty like what? like like monologue yet? Yeah, dude. That whole that whole monologue well, is that man, his I, fault or is that the writer's fault? Yeah, he no, I'm just saying he, like, he okay, wasn't okay, awful. Okay, but at some point you have to. He was the one playing the character. He has to take some responsibility. Dude, his fucking moment where he blamed. Humanity for all the like the end of humanity like that. What was wrong with okay, that? Okay, like, go go watch that moment and then go watch Michael Fassbender's thirty second monologue in X Men Days of Future Past Jesus talking Christ. about t- tearing uh, mutants uh, beans when he's talking. That to relates Professor to this. How? God damn it, guys! You are rubbing me up, and I am be, so ready to just tear this shit because apart. Because Hugh Laurie, for some reason, just couldn't deliver in that major scene for me. It just was not there. And I, I, I'll, I'll say this. Another thing, too. Disney fucking couldn't help themselves. Um, they had to have something fall on his right leg because his right leg was crippled on house, which I thought was the weirdest. <laughs> I don't think that had that's anything amazing. to do with. I think you, that's you, awesome. You, no. really, you really don't think they you, thought about that okay. at all? Come on. If you just, no, I like, don't because I that. just don't see what business means. They're like, you know what? We have Hugh Laurie <laughs> yeah. and his right leg was crippled in the house. So therefore, when he gets... Uh, oh, it's, 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 it's just fucking chance that they had a huge item fall exactly all, right on his right leg. I didn't notice that it fell on his right leg. I thought he just fell on his leg like, and that he was just pinned down. Can we talk okay. about tachyons yet? I think you're just filling your quota of once a week pissing Kenny off with a comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was I was I was extremely disappointed with Hugh Laurie Here, in this here's movie. What I'll and, say, and, and his character. Let's put it that way. Here's what I'll say about his character in the sense that, as someone who then we'll get to you, God damn it, as someone who loved the film, I could understand somebody having a problem with his character. But that was for me purely at a script level. I don't know what Hugh Laurie really could have done with a lot of those monologues without doing some kind of like Eddie Redmayne and Jupiter Ascending like well, let's, good thing he didn't do that no no but that's what I mean like, like truly without, bad. I'm just saying without trying to like call attention to himself like he's in a Disney movie blockbuster like what was he really going to be able to do I, yeah, I don't see with terrible. material that was already clunky at best and I say that as someone who likes it I guess it, I'm but saying I, that it's terrible because I had high expectations no. and I was disappointed yeah. I, th- I think so. disappointment high expectations works. for a Disney villain disappointment works terrible is over exaggerating uh, just it, like you it, did it's, last my, week. it's my opinion it's, ter- so it it's terrible really, relative yeah, to really his matter. expectations yes okay so government govern Governor Nix played by Hugh Laurie I I want to talk about tachyons for a sec, okay? So tachyons are a hypothetical, like, subatomic particle that they kind of, like, shoehorn into this, this, this story as kind of, like, the magical substance that's able to allow them to see into the future because they're so ahead of, of, of Earth's technology and stuff, right? That's how they're able to see the inevitability of the, the Earth's destruction in 58 days, which is, like... Um, Month and a two months. Two months. Two months. <laughs> two months, two months, two months? Yeah, it's okay. Like, we're gonna buy a Tucson a calendar after the <laughs> Fuck you. Anyway, I okay. Um, and then he goes through this entire rant thing. He may know about taxi. Shut up. He doesn't know about time. Anyway, okay. So Hugh Laurie, Governor Nix, goes through his entire rant. And is like, so we try to broadcast this entire like future into the collective subconscious of the human race and what did they do they just took it as a as a 
effort of finality. They just decided to just like roll over and take it. And it's like as if you think that that negative reinforcement is the greatest means to actually motivate people to actually like make something that is like Tomorrowland. He's a fucking straw man villain. I agree with with Nick and and uh, Kenny on this, where I I also agree with you, like Alex, that Hugh Laurie. That was really lackluster on his part, but he didn't have much to work with well, because and, and Governor Nix only plays, like appears for like how many minutes in this film? Like twenty? Yeah. Okay, he pretty much disappears collectively. After the first Ten minutes. That's fine, and you could say you could try to defend you, Lord. And I'm not saying he's a he's a great actor. Yeah. However, I'm saying that in this role, in this role, which he didn't have to take, and this was the first major role he's done mm-hmm. in the last five years. Um, he thought he, it was going to be good too. So, well, I did, and I, I feel like the they were they sold this movie as he was probably going to be the villain, but you didn't you you don't really know much about his character from any of the promotional. Uh, yep. In fact, that he's for the most part kept out of the promotional, even though he's a, the major villain in this. He film. was like in one shot in like the second trailer. Yeah. So you're saying if there was a better actor in the role, then it would have actually like landed better. No, I don't think so. Okay, I'm, so then how is that Hugh Laurie's fault? That's what that's the only thing. That's the only reason why I defend him in the sense that it's not that I'm like, look at Alex, he was brilliant. Or I won't like say that, it was but... his. It, it was necessarily his fault. However. He has to have some responsibility at the end of the day because he's the one playing the role. Well, I think he felt sh- like the, he, for you, fell short of what the a lot of the humor and some of the other parts of the story fell well, short for me. Also, like it's a Disney production. There's only so much you can do. He also spent eight seasons playing one of the most screen commanding characters yeah. in the history of my television viewing, at least. And this is a lackluster and, and this role film, to come on to after that. I, whenever he was on the screen, I was like, man, I just I can't get on board with well, anything he's doing. Had this so. done had this been done by another studio and it was like rated R or something, like I, I like I said, I feel like this movie would have been better, and maybe they would have given his character a little more leeway to, to do things and say things a little differently. But I have to admit, I kind of actually liked him in the role, because okay. I I guess I was kind of refreshed by the idea that the, of a Disney villain was not twirling a mustache and not... Like, he was just However, more... He, he was, was so casual. He might, he might so, as well have been Well, yeah, because he was just using his original accent. I know, but... but... but with way it's not he, like he was going out of his way to be European. He was actually just going out of his way to be himself. And I just kind of like the idea that this villain was so casually pissed off. Like, just, you know, yeah, you guys... I don't think he was just casually pissed off. I think he was protruding this entire, like, aura of holier than thou or can greater I, can than Can I get thou into another problem film. that I yeah. had with this movie other than just Hugh Laurie? Hugh Laurie is a part of it. I had such a such a problem with the logic of this Tomorrowland yes! world. Um, I, I just could not get on board because I feel like they did a horrible job explaining anything about Tomorrowland and spent almost the entire film explaining... The, the entire what, uh, film was the journey to Tomorrowland. Yes. And so what, what, just so I know, what your, your complaints are with the logic of why Tomorrowland exists, or... Well, it's kind of twofold. Because it's very big, so I just want to know. Well, it, I, I'm A, first of all, I don't think we got enough information about what actually Tomorrowland was supposed to be and yeah. what it is what it turned out to be because it's, it's clearly symbol. it clearly did not turn out as peachy as it did in that commercial mm. earlier in the in the film that we see what happened to all the people that were there before flying around on jetpacks and having they, a good time were they all just like spontaneously combusted by the robots or were some of them like exiled back to earth like 
but um, it, it, George Clooney's This character. movie's called Tomorrowland, and you talked about Hugh Laurie not being in the movie. I mean, we spend a total of, what, 24 minutes in the actual Tomorrowland in the film? Yeah. Like, we, we, we don't get to know anything, really, about this other world other than the journey that the characters make to it. Right. And that I, was I, kind of the point, wasn't it? Because I thought Tomorrowland is a place you're supposed to aspire to, not necessarily exist in. To, the point is, you'll never get to what you would consider a utopia. You the 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 point in the movie and the message was that as long as you keep trying to get there, which is right. why actually I kind of appreciated the fact that yeah. it was mostly just them trying to get there, that in and of itself is more rewarding than getting into a supposed Tomorrowland. It's supposed to be what what you see in your head and what drives you to be That's why a I certain way me. in life okay. as uh, opposed to actually getting there. I could get on board with what you guys are saying about it right now. Yeah. However, when I was watching the film, I personally, as a movie viewer, wanted to know more about this amazing world that was created by these people. And they give all the explanation. Like Toussaint said earlier about the Eiffel Tower, another reason for Paris to hate America. We just fucking desecrated one of their monuments and made it into this <laughs> big thing that splits apart so spaceships can fly out of it. That's the sole purpose for it. Yeah. Holy shit. Fuck yeah, your like monument. A, the Transformers behind the Hoover Dam. <laughs> I think the thing is, it, you like you. Let me let me try let me try to put this the way you I, I idiot. think. Yeah, he's going to yes. try to bottle up his you, rage right now. No, no, no. I I think it was just like it's trying to inspire you to be the dreamer, to be imaginative, to I get create that. things. And at and, the same time, you, I wanted to enjoy myself in the theater. Right, right, right. Not. But what I'm getting at is because it wasn't a real world and because they didn't show you much of the real world is Tomorrowland is whatever you imagine it to be. That's the point. So if you want to see more of it, it's up to you to create Tomorrowland. Yeah, but that only goes so far because we know there was... because you're not a fucking creator. (laughs) You're not imaginative. Yeah, that's right. You're not one of the the dreamers like Ayn Rand told you to be. actually fucking went to Tomorrowland in the film. They were there. No, I mean, I I know that there is a message behind it, and I totally get what you guys are talking about. I'm kidding. Yes. I know. I know. I know. Sometimes it's hard to tell with you. I don't know. I don't know about you. Anyways, I, uh, I, I just I just wanted more out of the explanation about this world that they went to. I mean, all, all we know is that the first way you could get to it was by going on the fucking uh, small world, the small, small world, world, and then there's this magical hill that goes down, and you get transported there if you have a pin on to a transport that is labeled special because you are special. Hey, you now, found there it. you go. Yeah, you uh, are exceptional. So you're saying you wanted like a better entrance? Into I, I just wanted a better overall. I, I want a better overall experience with the actual Tomorrowland for me in the film instead of. An hour and 20 minutes of them struggling to get there. The name of the movie is Tomorrowland, but not The Journey to, to Tomorrowland. I will Tomorrowland. say this, though. I feel like when I read a lot of reviews before I saw this, there was a lot of people that said the same thing that you did, which is that it spent so much time outside of Tomorrowland that getting to Tomorrowland itself is kind of a letdown, especially because you're not in it for that long. Maybe because I read those kind of reviews before I went and saw it, I was surprised at actually how much time is spent in Tomorrowland, or at least adjacent to it. And I know that sounds like a joke, but like the first 20 minutes is the whole prologue. Like I thought that was only going to last like two minutes or something, but it's actually him as a little kid getting into tomorrow. I know first it's the world's fair, but then he gets into Tomorrowland and um, he's in there for at least 10 minutes or so. And then I know, yes, they don't, uh, then every time Casey is in the pen, like there's a good like 
I'm not trying to like add up minutes or anything like that, but like I don't know that it was so much like we don't see Tomorrowland, and then all of a sudden by the time we see it, we're out of it or something. Like I don't know that it was that quick and done or anything that okay. I would personally whatever. But one thing I guess I did love is that when we were in it, I loved Brad Viz, uh, Brad Bird's uh, visual style so much that I don't necessarily care about the logic of this place because to me it, it should always be an abstract concept like the more i learn about it the more it wouldn't feel like tomorrowland and therefore like there were so many things that he would do like in the very first uh, opening prologue in the 20 minutes when the kid gets to tomorrowland and his jetpacks get fixed there was a scene that i loved and this is kind of probably a reason why i love this movie is that i haven't watched a children's film that made me feel like i was a child watching a children's film you know like where when you were that young and used to get bowled over by anything that did anything that was aimed at children then when i saw uh, brad bird play with the foreground uh when when that kid was using my jetpack and he's going up and all of a sudden the building next to him just drops out of view that was directly behind him and you just see the uh the clouds and stuff behind him like the way brad bird edited some of those sequences that were set in tomorrowland just kind of blew me away because it's the kind of filmmaking we don't even get from most studio budget films because brad bird truly is uh, a virtuoso i would say in making uh modern blockbuster set pieces so Maybe because I was just so distracted by what I was seeing when we were in there. I didn't get that particular feeling. And I also don't know that it's kind of like the man behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. Once you reveal the curtain, then it just doesn't become as enticing as somebody like me. Yeah, Damon Lindelof and his mystery boxes. Well, and and we look at when they actually do get to the real Tomorrowland and we're there in modern time. It's not. It's not sunny. It's cloudy while they're there, and the only the first image we see is all these police caravans coming yes. to take them away. And it's all and grungy because it's run by a douchebag. <laughs> and that was the kind of thing that I actually thought was kind of interesting because there wasn't a lot of like there was a lot of exposition in this movie. I'll grant you, but once they got to the actual Tomorrowland, they didn't do that much as far as to explain why it was in the state it was. And I thought that was a pretty adult. Uh, Tomorrowland, not the you know human. They yeah. didn't really talk around it, like like you said. The first thing they see when they get there is, uh, yes, police and authority, uh, you know, authoritarian like government and that kind of stuff. Like kids will be able to pick up on it just on the fact that Governix has kind of like taken over. But to to an adult, you can kind of I would say imply some more sinister themes in there. How how do you feel, Nick, about the accusations of? Like we we touched on it before, is like with the whole accusation of like Ayn Randianism and like objectivism, because there is totally you cannot argue with me that there is totally not a scene in Blast from the Past where what's his name again, Keegan, the the guy with the dreadlocks, yes, where he like is literally like staring at Casey and intentionally staring at the camera, just like what if there was a world where scientists and like really influential people didn't have to worry about government intervention and says like that is. Totally fucking objectivism right well, there. Okay, here's what I got to say to that. I thought most of the Earth scenes, uh, not most, but I would say some of the Earth scenes were filmed in such a way that they were actually self-referential without actually uh, speaking these ideas out loud. If you take... Uh, sorry, that was I, speaking those ideas out loud, though. Right, right, right. Okay, and I get that. But I guess I'm going to talk about a different scene, but to kind of tie okay. into what you're talking about. Okay. Think of the montage of her when she's in the school. I love that montage because I thought that was so over the top that it became kind of funny. What fucking school does she go to where they talk about all this fucking nihilistic bullshit? Well, I mean, yeah, it was a stand-in for yeah. just the cultural temperature in right. general. But just if you look at the way she is uh, 
I would say framed compared to how our teachers are edited in and out. Like that felt like one of those, uh, like uh, what do I want to say? Those those movies that they used to force you to watch about, like you know, uh, you know, standing under your desk. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in the case of nuclear Duck and cover, you know that kind of stuff. Where yeah, like it's yeah. such empty, uh, you know, rhetoric as far as the, that, that's why nobody's getting it because we we've just gotten to the point where we're just reporting it and therefore we're not actually thinking about it. So that's where this journey comes into play but and and that's where like when it just becomes empty rhetoric and nobody rec- really actually like engages with it that's one of the things that pisses me off about governor nix's like whole appeal because it's just like i i i agree yeah. and i agree and i vibe with the sentiment of this film but just by making this straw man argument from this guy who obviously doesn't understand it's like hey Negative reinforcement doesn't always yield positive results. No, really? Yeah. That, I feel like that, for and, me, kind of compromised a lot of the legitimacy of those examples that he put forward and the legitimacy of the sentiment that was actually inherent in this film. Can we get something that uh, Nick mentioned a little bit and I wanted to bring up to you specifically, Nick? Yes. Uh, is something when we talked about Inception that you and Tucson both uh, talked about. That there, The more and times you've seen it. I do have an answer, too. Okay. The exposition gets out of control in that movie, and this movie was the, in terms of Disney movies at least, was the king of exposition. And I, I felt, would, oh. if you want to disagree, that's totally fine. I felt like the entire time we were being told about things about this movie instead of seeing things in a movie where you should be getting a visual, you know, actor showing you something or scenery showing you what is happening. Instead, I felt like a lot of this film, at least from an exposition standpoint was kind of even like dumbed down to the people who are seeing it, not even necessarily kids, but adults who are seeing it too. And I, I just could not get on board with the like over the top exposition that was happening, especially at certain points throughout the movie. This is getting kind of meta because that almost, when you're talking about dumbed down in order for like general consumption is like that ropes back into my whole like tie in with Walt Disney and this Tomorrowland, whereas like Walt Disney's Tomorrowland was dumbed down in order to prepare people for the real Tomorrowland. So Nick, did did I say what, what you were thinking? And you said you had an answer prepared. I actually, yeah, I I said the word exposition earlier specifically to see if you would jump in, so that way you would bring this up. Okay. I actually though disagree with you on two okay. counts, which is a, this is a message movie. People are going to talk and. That is the kind of definition of telling not showing. That doesn't mean that everybody okay. has to like it. Or I, I was going to say, but but there's a difference between people talking and ongoing monologues explaining yeah. the plot. But, okay, and so I'm just saying that's why it was the way it was. Uh-huh. Now here's why for me it works the way it is, which is um, my second count is that th- there's a difference between the exposition in something like this and the exposition in something like uh, uh, Inception, because for me. The the ex- exposition in Inception only works to serve to explain what's happening in Inception. What's going to happen immediately next. Yes. Like it is literally, just so you know, in the next scene when this happens, that's what's happening. Like the, the exposition in this movie, honestly, was, in my opinion, a red herring because most everything that George Clooney pretty much says to her, I'm not saying everything, but most everything 
has no bearing on the plot whatsoever. And there are so many times when Casey is basically told to stop asking questions and just accept the magic. And it reminded me, and I, I'm sorry to bring up this movie, uh, probably for the second or third time in this uh, in the life of Film Tank, but it reminded me of a scene in the film Coherence, when the characters are all standing around, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden one of them brings out a book about quantum physics, and they read from the book, and they all have this huge, enlightening discussion about how that applies to their situation. Turns out that book. And that book had nothing to do with actually because they were just <laughs> misinterpreting what was actually happening. So I agree that there are a lot of scenes in which characters are talking about what may or may not be happening, but that doesn't actually explain what's happening. It's more just like those are the conversations that they're having in that moment because unfortunately, you know, human, uh, you know, in a movie about dreaming big, yes, curiosity is going to be a factor in these characters' motivation. They're going to want to know more because they need to know how to get from here to Tomorrowland. And I don't think that this movie ever felt uh, superfluous when it came to exposition because of the fact that ultimately... At least we had George Clooney admitting, not just George Clooney, uh, the Athena character, <laughs> I thought was funny, jokingly shutting down because she didn't want to answer any more questions. Like, I, I thought it was actually pretty self-aware. You didn't have Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception saying, oh, you know what, I'm done answering questions mm-hmm. for the day. No, because you actually, if, if he didn't explain those kind of things, then the audience would actually be lost. If if George Clooney didn't explain something that he you know may or may not have, whatever, we could still go along with it because it's such a fantastical movie that none of it actually makes sense. So, so explaining it doesn't actually give it any less, I would say, uh, credence. I don't, yeah. Okay, but you, you, you never at one point thought, man, that guy is really talking about the, – the, and not just George Clooney because I felt the same with Hugh Laurie during you know his monologue scene at the end where mm-hmm. I, 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 I was – I just feel like I was getting – I wanted more out of – Certain parts of this film, and I think we—I I feel like we got dialogue. I was instead being of beat over scenes. the head with a mallet with the themes of this film. Well, like, yeah. I fucking get it. Okay, I get it. Well, you're talking about because that can definitely be a flaw in the movie, in your opinion. And, yeah, is that you're not talking about exposition if you're talking about the end. The end is when they talk about their themes, and and that's what we call yes, being unsubtle and blunt or whatever. They're not talking about why they're standing there in Tomorrowland that often or anything like that. So you either have a problem with the way. They're talking about the logic of the film, which would be exposition, or you have a problem, or maybe both. I was going to say, it's more, more both. Okay. Or, I'm, I'm just explaining. the end is not exposition. That's just them hashing out thematic material. And for a message movie, what else were they going to do? Were they going to get into like mecha robots and just start beating each other? I no. thought that scene was actually going to happen from like the trailers because there's those yeah. two fucking robots that Athena is is fighting against. They them. do subtly get into it for like a second when yeah. she takes control, but I kind of liked how it was like yeah. the minute they got into it, they got out of so, it. So, Nick, you're saying that all the questions being asked and everything by Athena, like you're, you're saying that was kind of a red herring for, well, the question that Casey or cause Athena Casey, and George Casey Clooney is what I meant. Yeah. Casey being, um, yeah, I thought it was a red herring because if you, by the end of the movie, none of the questions that she asked, I would say got her and the audience anywhere closer to well, knowing more about Tomorrowland that you didn't already know about the fact that she touches the pen. Well, what about from a less literal standpoint where, I would argue that the younger you are and the more – like it's, it's usually as a kid you have questions about everything and you're constantly asking right. questions. I mean right. my, my dad used to call me motor mouth when I was a kid because I, all I did was ask questions and talk yeah. about things. And, and, and I feel like the older you get, the less you do that. And also the older you get, the, the more prone you are to stop being a dreamer and it's stop very, it's imagining very telling. things. And, 
that's the thing that you're bringing up that I actually think is important to remember is that this this is a Disney film and it is aimed at children. And I'm not saying that that means that they're they should be graded on a curve or something like that. But they do take different uh, they do manifest themselves into different ways. Well, but I, but I don't know that there there are parts of this that actually I like. Like I'm not a child, and 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 it hit home with me at times where the child well, inside. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> just because a movie's aimed at kids, I mean, that right, adults but, can't but, respond but to I'm, it. Yeah, but what I, I guess what I'm saying is, it it is kind of irritating to me that that people like as you get older, like why why stop asking questions? Why stop wondering? Why why stop trying to create? solutions the problem it, it's very telling because i've actually had uh conversations with like younger kids that have like asked me like questions and stuff and it's just like sometimes i you reach the point where they're asking not the most they're, they're, it's not like they're asking trivial questions they're asking really important questions like startlingly very important questions about life and and, and where do babies come from and ethics in general is like no it's different than biological like origins or no, anything I, I was like asking that. i know <laughs> I I will tell you exactly where babies come from after this podcast. In a bonus episode. In a bonus episode. Um but it's very telling that once you reach the the extent of of their answers like you you kind of fall back on I don't know that's just the way it is. Like it's like that's the point where we stop questioning and that's kind of like where we buffer them to stop questioning. Can I give one really quick theory before we get into like our final reviews Go and, for it, and, and scores and whatnot? So I I literally was removed from this movie at a certain point. Like but when I realized like somebody came and took you. No, off. no, no, no. no. <laughs> you yeah. were physically I, removed. I, I, from I, the what were you doing I, in the theater? Buddy? I was going to say I think you you uh, used literally no. incorrectly there, man. No, I, I, I no, to, no, I no. To, because no, I'm going to explain no, why. No, no, no. Actually, right? you did. Let's you, let's, you, let's hear. It. You, let's... you were not literally out of the theater. Your, your attention Me- was no. literally taken okay, out. Of the I film. I was mentally literally removed. No. You're, Shut up and let him talk. I'm sorry, man. You're oh, still man. you're still using it wrong, man. I'm sorry. I, I well, anyway, no. you can explain it to me later. <laughs> I literally okay. was removed from this experience when... Okay, so the scene when they take off in a rocket out of the Eiffel Tower... Yeah, yeah it was stupid. And they blast off into space, mm-hmm. and then the capsule that they're in kind of Does back. reverses and shoots back. I, at that very moment, realized that this was George Clooney's half of the movie Gravity. Because Gravity... George Clooney, before he is fumbled and lost into oblivion, he's in that movie for about ten minutes, correct? Yeah. And then he makes, like, a cameo return... When she's like, I mean, he wasn't really there, but exactly, exactly, <laughs> he wasn't literally there. Let's let's put it that way. My point is, literally, the other half of Gravity sucked. It sucked. The whole movie it, sucked. But actually. George Clooney was in fucking Tomorrowland the whole time. <laughs> I I don't know that it completely checks out, but I definitely think you should post it to the IMDb message board. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it checks out at all, but I. I don't know. I, 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 was, I was pulled mentally out I of this movie. I see where movie. you're coming from. That's actually pretty fucking hilarious. Like, as soon as that Literally. scene happened, I ch- I checked out, and that was that. And I, that's all. For I the rest of the movie? <laughs> no, not for the rest <laughs> okay. of the movie. Just but. in that moment. Okay. So that's my theory on Tomorrowland and, and George Clooney. What a note to end this discussion. I know. On. Let's go to ratings and see fucking if, any, literally. And if it, anyone else literally has any feelings about it. <laughs> literally. I actually think this ties into Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, but I, I'll get into that on another episode. <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. 
Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot more I can say. And it's one of those things, I, I didn't mean to, like, fight you, Alex, on some of your, it's, it's, because I pretty much agree with almost everything you say. It's just one of those movies, like, Prometheus, I feel like this is this year's Prometheus for me, which is, I can understand why a lot of people are not going to like this. I didn't hate it as much as Prometheus. Okay. And, um, it is funny that, obviously, we're comparing it because they do share the same screenwriter, but I feel like there's, there's a difference in the way Ridley Scott, uh, tackled Damon Lindelof's, uh, message and, uh. I, I do agree. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The way Brad Bird. I just shook my head. At, yeah, at, like why are you shaking your head? I really Scott was like, "That's a shit I don't like." Okay, yeah, yes. And so I feel like Brad Bird kind of had a better job, even if it was messier. I, I almost I would say more clunky than something like Prometheus. I think he had a better job at least attacking in on one idea mm-hmm. and not letting other ideas uh, swallow it whole. Uh, so overall, I, I did enjoy this movie. This is kind of one of the better Disney blockbusters that I've seen in quite some time, and I was just so enjoying the fact that I had a movie that really just made me think whether I, you know, was disliking a part or liking a part, I was just never not thinking about the movie the entire time in a way that I I don't always do during uh, certain modern blockbusters. So, uh, I'm <laughs> gonna give it four out of five stars because I mm. just I really enjoyed it. And it's 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 like a fun ride that I honestly would not mind taking a, uh, again. And by the end of it, at least after I'm get off the ride it does leave me thinking about something more than just the set pieces so because due to that i thought balance mixed of uh message movie and the way brad bird handled a lot of the uh more uh adventurous uh set pieces i i was really on board so four out of five stars for me Alrighty, let's move on to Tucson. okay i walked out of this film really enjoying it i really enjoyed this film all the while acknowledging fully acknowledging the validity of a lot of the criticisms pressed against it. I think that it can come off as overly sacrament at times. I think that there is definitely this kind of like weird uber mensch, like objectivist, like through line through some of the, the, the themes of this film. I think that the first half is really cool. I think that the second half is very plotting. I'm not a fan of Hugh Laurie's um, portrayal. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it feels kind of uneven and clunky, but I still find it very charming, and I appreciate the the sentiment of it. Like, knowing all of that, knowing, knowing all of the things that I feel like didn't necessarily work with this film, I still very much enjoyed it and was still very much involved in it. Yes, Alex? Um, I, I like that you brought up the word charming, because I felt like this was a very interesting role for George Clooney, at least in terms of a, a family-type movie, because... If we see him in non-serious roles, which this is somewhat of a serious movie for the most part, mm-hmm. but he pl- usually plays the charming guy. Yeah, and very like, suave. And-, and he could not have been more non-charming during this film. And I thought it was a very interesting choice for him to play this His role. His five and o'clock not- shadow was perpetual. Well, and not that he was bad in this role. I mean, I did not think he was uh, the biggest part of this film at all. But I-, I was just surprised after seeing the film that this was a film that he chose to make. Especially since he is definitely someone in Hollywood who is not getting dumped on the truck of money. And he-, he can get money wherever he goes. So he made this choice because he wanted to make this film with Brad Bird. And I, I was I was surprised that he did it yeah like just even just a really quick moment to point out like there was a time when i at really quickly when Britt robertson's character got to the his house and she's knocking on the door and he's like go away i'm like oh he's like the guy from up he's so harmless you know and then five seconds later i did kind of get a chuckle out of the fact that he just completely he presses that button that like forces her like and it's obviously that's not some kind of like bloody violent mm-hmm. thing or whatever but like he has no qualms with like 
annihilating someone. Get uh, off my lawn! Yeah, you know, it's not just like a, you know, like he's just waving something and, like, yelling at her. He follows that up with, like, okay, now I'll blast you into no, oblivion. No, this guy came from Tomorrowland. He doesn't need a stick. Right, so I, I appreciated um, that. I, um, just going going back to, to my, my vibe about it, it's like I really did enjoy this film all the while being able to acknowledge the validity of the criticisms against it. I'm... I, 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 when I came out of this film, my, my thought was like, you know, that film wasn't perfect, but if this film is able to serve the intent of what it tried to do, like if a kid like was able to go watch this film, like on like either going to see it in theaters or years from now, like seeing it on DVD or Blu-ray, whatever next gen, like futuristic format there is and say, it's like, you know what? It's like, I kind of want to build something like that. It's like why not just build something to inspire people then i feel like this film like really served its purpose kind of like in the same way that like lego movie did and just like encouraging people to like use their imagination to make things put to put things in the world that are that are better and that are good so i would have to give this film a score of three out of five um i really enjoyed it i think that you don't necessarily have to go see it in theaters but you should like if you have a have an opportunity cover out some time and actually watch it very good. Let's move on to uh, Mr. Kenny and see what he has to say about this. I find myself liking this movie more, uh, not only being a day removed from seeing it, but after talking about it in a group. Um, I I find it sad that, as a whole, the human race is kind of... <laughs> I'm sorry. I like, I'm just saying it's like the whole of the human race. Like, could continue. <laughs> Okay. Just that's it. Just the human race fucking depressed. No, it's just like the the Tomorrowland. It just like vaulted into like like a like a Charlie Chaplin like speech at the end of like the Greek dictator. It was like, go Kenny. Okay, go Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> I I find it sad that the human race as a whole is losing exactly what the point of this movie was supposed to be, and and the fact that they're even not even technical criticism. But just general criticism from like just you know average moviegoers, it the the point that this movie is trying to make is proven by the fact that there's negativity in the in the sense that it's too over the top and bubbly and look well I guess what I'm trying to say is when when you're a kid and you have dreams and everything is perfect and that's what as a kid you want to strive before you're jaded by actual real life and. And things of that nature that like that, like if you can, because I've always kind of prided myself that as an adult, I I stay very positive, very optimistic. I can still imagine things. I can still, you know, try and skirt across a lot of negativity in life. And, And sadly, as you look around, just the human race is become so good at being negative about everything and that's exactly the point that this movie was trying to make i can kind of understand what you're saying just if i can really quickly back that up with just a little something to think about uh for our listeners but it's almost sad to think that this next generation of children are going to grow up on things more like the hunger games than like tomorrowland you know what i mean like there there's more things that skew towards the everything is fucked so get ready because life is going to kill you then there <laughs> is like just try a little harder and maybe you'll be a little happier yeah, because messages of the Disney movies of yesterday well and also another thing to really quickly go off of that 
we get all we get is the headline and the quote from certain things. We don't get full context yes. of it anymore. Like everybody Man saw stabbed the, outside of a church. Everyone instead of hearing his entire speech or hearing what he had to actually say, all we heard was Robert De Niro's uh, speech at the uh, graduation ceremony last week, where he said. You're all fucked after they were graduating. Yeah. So all anyone got from that is George Clooney just went there and said, you're fucked. When he actually gave... George Clooney he, or Robert De Niro? I'm sorry, Robert De Niro. Pardon me. He made when, a really impassioned appeal about following your passions. And it's just like, you know, even though it's really hard, it's like comparatively to all these other people from the outsiders looking in, you're fucked. But they don't understand that but what you're I'm doing saying this for something is else. All that the common person sees is is Robert De Niro saying you're fucked and he's just like, Well, yeah, humanity's fucked. Where he actually had a thirty minute, you know, speech or twenty minute speech or whatever it was. So it's almost like Governor Governor Nix's uh little method was kind of a metaphor for the media saturation of uh negativity. Well you know <laughs> Nick Okay. It's, yeah, a it's, too it's a little bit of a reach. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it was the reach. I mean, I no, think, I don't think so. I think that's yeah. actually what it. I'm not saying it wasn't, bl- you know, Mr. Stretch Armstrong but I do over think here that, of his fucking reach. I do think that actually was. I guess that's what that's, I'm. That's, that's 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 not as much of a reach as they crippled Hugh Laurie's right leg right. because it ties into <laughs> ties into a character yeah, no, he played. No rebuttal necessary. No rebuttal oh, necessary. Oh come on! Oh come on, guys! Uh, no, whatever. it was a fucking stretch. Dude. Okay, go ahead, Kenny. I, I'm just saying, like I, do, I don't think I don't think that's a stretch. And and the more we talk about this movie, the more actual stuff I'm realizing that I maybe didn't catch even as much as I did like it the first time. Uh, I, I don't know. I just I, I I find it just everyday life. I find it more upsetting, and it, it kind of yeah, like it makes me angry every day just to see how everybody's willing to to just take the easy out and and not want to be creative and try and find a solution to the problem instead just give up on it and and I don't know I I I came out of this movie liking it for reasons I didn't expect going in to like this um I I was very excited about it but I ended up coming out really enjoying the shit out of this movie and for that I'm going to I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 okay so very good. You guys are uh, on the same page, I guess. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I am the lowest out of uh, everybody on this film. Uh, I probably didn't convey every single thing that uh, I wasn't crazy about. I did enjoy the the theme and the message of this film. I think overall uh, it has a good message of we as a society should not only think about things negatively as it's being shown to us. However, at the same time, though, as a movie, it just the whole package just did not work for me. Um, Disney going out of their way to not not I don't want to say whore themselves out, but give a lot of these really awkward self moments where they are very self aware of their brand. Uh, I was not crazy about the most egregious one being after Hugh Laurie and George Clooney are stuck at the beach after the other world disappears and the Donald Duck O'Fooey goes to play for some reason. That was awful. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, After Hugh Laurie and... I know what scene you're talking about, but I don't know when... When the door closes, the door shuts, you see George Clooney stand up, you don't see his face, and all you hear is the Donald Duck O'Fooey line. 
So go see it again. It's there. I don't know if he actually said it. He no, just he kinda, no, I'm not saying he didn't. He no, just kind of went, just, and he just like I just threw sand down on the ground. That's I'm very interesting. If that, like, I'm going to go back and all I'm watch saying that. is when I watched it, I like I was just like kind of because I was again this movie wasn't really doing it for me, so I wasn't. I was watching it and I was in you know you know paying attention, but at the same time my ears perked up and I was like, did that really just happen? And I'm. I'm 99% sure it did. So, well, well, listener, if you also think it happened, let us know just cuz I'm curious. I just I don't remember it. I just I just and and I I actually did enjoy. I'm talking about not crazy about that part, but the part in the beginning where they're at the World's Fair, I felt like in terms of doing a time period that was done very well. And uh, for the most part, though, this movie just as a whole did not work for me. It, I was not able to get sucked into the messages. There were too many things that were happening that made absolutely no sense to me. You fed the wrong wolf, Alex. Oh, for God's sakes. You know, that's the problem, though. Anyone who says anything negative, everyone's just going to just gonna pile that shit on. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I totally agree with to that. that. Yeah. Which is kind of going back to what Kenny was saying about how you're just psst. missing the message. I'm so always I, so defensive, and mm-hmm. this is not your fault, but because... The overwhelming reaction is negative, so I'm only protecting it because nobody else is doing that. That's mm-hmm. all. Well, and, but you guys, for You're the most good part, company is what well, I'm I, I suppose. But the the panelists on this show, who I, I know obviously, as we do this show every week, you guys all, for the most part, enjoyed the film, and I, I, for the most part, did not. And again, disappointment with Hugh Laurie. I don't care what you guys say. The thing falling on his right leg was a wink and a nod at him being housed in his right leg, being fucked up. But I, I totally understand and acknowledge all of your criticisms of it. It's like, yeah. It, 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 I, I feel like some of the criticisms I have are only because of my personal feelings going into it, where I think some of my criticisms of the film are valid when it comes to an actual film experience. Yeah. Um Overall, I'd watch this again, and I could see my rating going up at some point down the road. Uh, some of the things you guys said, which has happened before on this podcast, uh, has made me feel differently about things, and, and I appreciate uh, some scenes more. Uh, however, I'm still going to stick with my original rating of only two out of five. Is uh, for the most part, uh, I'm going to be a little tougher on this film than I have on others, and it was not my favorite. So I think we'll bring this uh, talk of Tomorrowland to a close. Thank you guys for joining the show. And uh, next week, uh, we'll be talking about another uh, space-related film, the 1997 classic, I guess you could call it. Oh, it's a classic. Um, Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers. Yay! Uh, Would you like to know more? Yeah. Oh, man. Nick is obsessed with Paul Verhoeven. This is the second of his films we're going to be talking about. and I didn't choose the first one, um, but uh-huh. I will make sure we watch them all by the end of uh, by the end of whatever we end this podcast. <laughs> it will not be before we have not I, done I was going to say, I think it, we should make it a challenge right now that whenever our last episode is... We'll just do um, whatever ones we have Showgirls left. will be our last episode. I'll That'll do it. God. That's a great movie. <laughs> it's going to be the, the peak, the cinematic peak of our... <laughs> hey, don't talk shit about Showgirls. Showgirls is great. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the greatest film of... Uh, the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Okay. But no, the Starship Troopers is actually a masterpiece. And okay. It'll be, yeah, I cannot wait to talk about it. I'm, I'm interested to see what you have to talk about, have to say about it. Uh, if you have a uh, email or a uh, message you'd like to send to us about Starship Troopers or about Tomorrowland, you can send it to filmtankshow at gmail.com 
Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. You can also find us on our website to listen to all of our episodes, which is FilmTankShow.com. And you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Actually, no. I'm not, I'm not trying to correct you, but uh -huh. I, I forgot to mention this before we did the episode, so if you want to just completely tell me to shut the fuck up. But we will not be endorsing Stitcher anymore, because they oh. will not get back to us about the problem we're having. So I am going to be pulling all uh, endorsements and links to their website, because they're a horrible uh, corporation, and we will not be... Any more advertising for them. So we are only on iTunes at the moment, or any other podcast aggregator where you can uh, submit your own feed. We can you heard that. it here first. We're not going to mention the S word anymore. <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you, guys. Uh, Kenny Marcellus, Toussaint Egan, Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diegman. And thank you, the listener, for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We will catch up with you next time. <laughs>